Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Swire football podcast, trucking through the offseason with you and everybody else. MWR.com is our website where you can find anything and everything football, Mountain West, and some hoops. We do plenty of hoops as well, so there's that as well. But uh, hey, Matt, what's going on? Oh, you know, just trying to trying to get through another weekend without football because no, the Pro Bowl does not count. Even with the new rules, it doesn't count? It does not count. Did you even watch any of the new rules this afternoon? I did not because it doesn't count. Oh, but what, really quick, do you like the new rules that are implemented possibly? The only one I heard about was, uh, what was it, a 4th and 15 rule? They be- if only because I think it was uh, Mike Tunison was saying, like, you know, the NFL had a good idea on its hands, but then, like, limited it to letting teams do it just once or something like that. It's the um, it's the AAF rule, which I like. This has been discussed before, like, in rules meeting. We'll get to everything, but it's offseason. We'll talk what we want to talk about because it could trickle down to college football. The ma- basics was that instead of doing onside kick because – if you're an NFL fan out there, they basically onside kick was hard enough. Now they make it made it nearly impossible without being able to stack that side of the field. Mm-hmm. So now what they do if you I don't know that I, I don't know the specifics about because I remember in AAF you can only do it like if you're a certain point range like uh, if you're yeah. within whatever or a time limit maybe both. But basically, instead of kicking the ball off, you would get the ball. You get one down, basically a fourth down essentially. At your what twenty twenty five yard line, I think twenty, and it's a fifteen yard play. If you convert it, you get it. You keep the ball. If not, the other team gets it wherever the ball, if it's wherever the play ends up being a sack or zero yards or a fourteen yard gain, the other team would get the ball. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like to do it if you can do it whenever you wanted to in the game. No time limit, no restriction, no nothing. That is an interesting idea. I mean, I'll wait to see it when it actually matters. It's true because the Pro Bowl again does not matter, right? Yeah. There was some other rule, but I don't recall, but that was the big one. So I think the other one was like some false start wide receiver rule, which is whatever. But whatever. It doesn't count. I watched zero seconds of it, but uh, that's a rule I wouldn't mind seeing implemented. So uh, as for Mountain West stuff, what's going on? What do we what do we got? We got transfer, coaching news. We got a lot going on. We there got, is no offseason, as we all know. No, and the, and the planned shows we want are going to be pushed back another week, which I'm fine with that because it gives us another week to do other stuff that's not planned. That is planned. Mm-hmm. So let's start with uh, – should we start with the coaching news, I guess? Yeah, let's do it. Todd Graham, new Hawaii head coach. My first thought was, holy crap, what are we doing here? Convince me otherwise, Matt. What's the deal? Why am I wrong on this? Okay, so if you don't follow us on Twitter, at Jeremy Moss, M-A-U-S-S, at Matt K underscore F-S, you might have missed we had at least at first diverging opinions as to how good this hire was. I thought it was interesting because – Yes, some of the the uh, theatrics, shall we say, that Todd Graham has put up, uh, you know, early parts of the decade, last decade, were maybe not what you would want to see in a head coach. But like when you take a step back and you look at what he's done, he's won in tough places before. And I think that, you know, Hawaii is definitely a place where, yes, they have had periodic instances of like, you know, 
winning 10 games, going to a Sugar Bowl and stuff like that, but it's very hard to win there consistently. Mm -hmm. So if you go back and you actually look at his win-loss record, you'll see a guy who's, you know, has a 609 winning percentage. You know, he took, he basically kind of kick-started the little mini renaissance that Rice had in the, the late parts of the 2000s into the 2010s. You know, he won 10 games in three years at Tulsa. You know, had a little bit of an off year at Pitt, but then had some of Arizona State's best years of the 21st century. So, is it a perfect hire? Maybe not. But I think as far as taking risks go, it's uh, it's definitely interesting to me. After doing some research, I for my first thought because it's the easy joke and it's and it's still fair criticism. Oh, I'm at my third dream job, <laughs> college coaching where he mentioned that a million times. I'm just glad he didn't say it this time around. But, like, I went through, I'm like, like I did the quick write-up. I'm like, okay, let me get some more context how well he did. I remember him at Rice, because Rice, I believe, didn't go to a bowl game before his arrival. They lost the bowl game, but they went 7-6, and six, I believe. Rice was, yeah, Rice was god-awful forever. I, and then he took him to a bowl, and then mm-hmm. David Bailiff inherited that program after that, and they had a pretty fair amount of success after that, i've been yeah. to a many bayou buckets when i was younger university houston versus rice which to put that comparative stakes to teams we know about the area it would kind of be like seeing the mexico mexico state annually just because you want to go to a football game when new mexico yeah, before, was back. before todd graham went there i just looked this up right now the last Awful. time rice went to a bowl was 50, 1961 50 something years they were in this for a little more context you're in the southwest conference with texas texas a&m texas tech some good teams however Still, they were just dreadful, and he brought him out of nothing and did well. You mentioned Tulsa. Who did he take over after Gus Malzahn was there? Uh, he took over, I think, with Gus Malzahn, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't okay. Gus Malzahn his offensive coordinator? I do remember. The only reason I remember that because remember when B White, when BYU played them, Gus Malzahn was the first coach, at least one of the first coaches I recall. Where it's annoying now. All right, everybody set up to play. Take a step back and look at the sideline. Yeah, Malzahn was his offensive coordinator. Yeah, so that he, he would have been there with Gus Malzahn, yeah. Because I remember that when they were playing BYU. I'm like, what are you doing? That's so annoying. And it's still annoying. I hate it. When they set up the intense, I could say, let's run our play now. But he ran a good offense there. He did okay at Pitt one year. I think in Arizona State, he would, I think in the article I mentioned, I know I mentioned I don't have it in front of me, but third most wins ever. Got fired after doing pretty good at Arizona State, just not good enough compared for the AD. So I changed my tune from initial hire to – not bad, but let's just keep the offense in the same neighborhood and we'll be good to go. Yeah, I mean, that was that's always going to be a tall task considering how many pieces they are replacing, which obviously we talked about in past podcasts. We'll probably talk about it again soon. And I think it's important to keep in mind, too, that you know since the hire was announced, he's also kept some of last year's guys in the fold. Mm-hmm. You know, position coaches like Jacob Yoro, Abraham Eblimian, Eliminium, excuse me. Aluminium, is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, not quite. Elamimian. Okay. Yeah, so it's not like they are having to build from the ground up. I think you know maintaining the current course is going to be tough just because of how many pieces they're having to replace on the field. But, you know, high risk, high reward. If you're looking for a guy who can, you know, maybe help this team be a dark horse candidate for a New Year's Six Bowl game in, what, two, three years, mm-hmm. you could do a lot worse than a guy like Todd Graham. You could. It's. It, it, has, has there been any word about Stutzman sticking around? I haven't seen that. I see mostly defensive coaches so far. I saw something on Twitter that he. It was a thank you message. I don't know if that was a thank you peace out message or. Oh, the text. I think I'm looking at it now. I'm scrolling through like a text message. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Or no, though that that was the no that was the Todd Graham text message. Sorry, 
Um, it, was uh, from three day- it was from three days ago. Okay. Um, I'm trying to see here. This is great. I should have looked up this before. But uh, uh, Stutzman. Oh, no. Stutzman is going to Washington State. Never mind. There it is right there. Mm-hmm. So there goes the offense. So, like, this hire, it's pretty good. Like, he's here's one thing that's – the good thing about it is that he's won at programs of similar stature, but also has a head start compared to other programs. Mm-hmm. So it's not like – like, all the other coaches, Colorado State, they fired their coach. There's, there's, that's in the mixer. UNLV fired the coach. New Mexico fired the coach. There's a term. It's not like Fresno State, which Coach Tedford steps down and you get the Colbert coming back in from Indiana, the OC, to take over who was there before. It, the program, yeah, they had a down year, but they're still better than what they were under Tim Druder's final year or two. Um, same with San Diego State. They get Brady Hoke for Rocky Long stepping down. Graham's come in. Like, his one year at Pitt, it's hard to tell for Pitt, but Pitt wasn't great when he went there. And so you're thinking, okay, if he's already been knows how to build a program at this level, that was bad, and now that's pretty good. Yes, losing talent. They have, if we're looking super early, best quarterbacks in conference. Shavon Cordero is going to be one of the top three or four, probably. It might really just quick thinking off the top of my head, like out after Boise State and Air Force, and maybe depending on what CSU does, it might be like the fourth quarterback in the conference. Just spitballing right now. Mm-hmm. So he has a quarterback. If they keep a similar offense, a couple receivers, like he has a base already there, and so that, that that's a good thing. Bad thing is he's a, he's skipped a million different jobs. Would he not want to go from Hawaii back to or just go to some random Pac-12 school that opens up because he goes nine and three back to back years or something? You know what I mean? Like and then he hops up to UCLA because Chip Kelly doesn't get it done because they spent too much money going to Whole Foods for the pay for their team to eat or something or whatever it may be, or go to Cal if Justin Wilcox doesn't work out. What that's that's my the big concern, which is a concern at any job. If you if you're in the conference, we could talk about and enjoy and love and watch playing college football. But he's also proven to bounce around when another another opportunity comes. I think he would have stayed at ASU for a while because he was doing good things, but just wasn't good good enough. That's the, always a big concern. But I think that's elevated in this case with him knowingly or whatever, just changing jobs frequently when he has success. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Hawaii is like any other group of five job. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, we see guys jump and ship left and right. But, you know, no, you have yeah. to look any further than the guy that they're replacing who just jumped to a power five program after four years. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, that kind of career route is just kind of part and parcel for a program like Hawaii. True. So, but like, so where did you, out of all the other hires, where do you think this comes into play? Like, I mean, I think it's a, kind of on the upper end to be honest just because like i said he's a guy who's proven that he can put an offense together he's a guy who has again has won in in difficult places to win before you know he's brought in talent he's you know he can put together an offense and so yeah i mean on the grand scheme of things if you're asking me to you know rank him one through five off the top of my head i'd probably have him like two or three so what's the what's the one higher that's better than him well, again, I think I'm I'm the high man on the, on the on the DeBoer hiring. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a good hire too. Yeah. It's a. Yeah, I, I think I put middle middle upper just because um, if I base it off of what could be done with the coach and team he has, like if we're looking at all the new coaches that are coming in, he inherits the. Okay. No, I'll say it. he inherits the best team from last year because they beat San Diego State and they went to the Mountain West title game. So if you're looking at on that spectrum, I might put him just number two behind Brady Hoke just because 
what what they could be next year because I don't know if Fresno will bounce back and go like get to nine wins. I think it's kind of far fetched a little bit. They should get back to bowl eligibility. CSU, we'll see what they do with Steve Adagio, but I'm not, nobody's a fan of that hire. Just kind of way it played out. Maybe the, maybe we're wrong, like we were with some others, I guess. Uh, Tedford a little bit where we thought that was a bad move, but it turned out pretty good. Mm-hmm. But the replacing receivers is a big deal. But I'd put it up there near the top because look at the West Division. Even though they bring in a this Todd Graham, they're still better off than San Jose State. Yeah, they got the quarterback, which we'll get to transfers from Arkansas, who great you get him whatever <laughs> nevada loses players and malik henry's gone but not like he's a big concern there they're like the only challenger out west san Diego state will be fine but out of the teams in there unlv new coach uh stuff like that where i'm thinking like if you look at the big picture it's gonna be a jumbled mess but i'd put hawaii just above some of the teams that are messed below them. you know what i mean like i think i'd put him a touch higher like even above fresno state and even nevada i think i'd still stay Kauai above there but it's a touch closer now just because new coach but i think they have players there Especially if they keep that similar offense. Like, they have a quarterback who can throw. They see what he can do. They're not going to go back and run some pro-style garbage offense, especially with the recruits they have in. They're going to still sling it around. It may be a slow transition instead of doing five wide all the time. They may go three wide or look more just a shotgun with two running backs. It's still a pass offense, but they still have the option to run the ball and do other things that Todd Graham would rather do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I agree with all of your assessment just because you know not only are they replacing pieces on offense but they're replacing a lot of key playmakers on on defense as well you know guys like Rochesterman Ferris and Kamana Padello and stuff like that so honestly I mean I, I like the hire but I think we're not going to really know much or at least we, we shouldn't cast too many strong judgments maybe until 2021 because I feel like there's definitely a, a potential for the program to take a step back in the win column in 2020 while kind of transitioning towards 2021. Yeah. No, I, well, they were 10 and five. They'll probably win. Like I could see them winning eight games. If you include a bowl game in there, I don't see that's too far fetched for, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but it's kind of based on the West division and they got Hawaii at home next year, the crossover game. Did they get CSU again? Were they in the schedule last year? I do not have the schedule. Okay. But like there's a couple of tough ones in there. Like they always do. But again, the West is, pretty open like the new coaches like th- there's no team out there outside of San Diego State I would say okay they're better than Hawaii for sure everybody else I can make an argument for Hawaii to be better than that's fair and so that's what I'm getting at yeah they got really quick at Arizona which maybe UCLA at home maybe Fordham yes at Oregon no New Mexico State so I can see that like if I go eight in a bowl game that's 14 games so it's like yeah they should get eight wins but We'll see how it goes, but uh, any last words on the coach, or should we move on to uh, maybe the players coming and going? Yeah, we can move on to a little bit of a transfer talk. Should we talk about the big Jack Sears news? Is that the big one at the top? I think that's the most recent one, so why don't we jump off with that? So, Aztec fans, if you haven't heard, apologies in advance. Jack Sears was going to go to San Diego State from USC. He's decided to uh, pull back from that uh, transfer news. Did you, have, has it been updated where he's going to go, or is it just said I'm reconsidering? Last I heard, and this is on Twitter, so take it for what it's worth. Gold. It bank. wasn't necessarily that San Diego State was totally out of the race now, just that they are back to being one of the options that he is considering. Who were the other options? Did you recall? Uh, let me see if I can pull up this article from 24/7 Sports okay. real quick. Because have him coming in, we talked about about it before. He was at USC. He announced a transfer early in the year, so I think I erred in saying he didn't get to be on the field. But it's because he decided to transfer, I think, in September, so he kind of wasn't with the program. 
So with him, considered- yeah. So according according to this article from Twenty Four Seven Sports from Tom Loy, so we'll give him a shout out. Um, he doesn't mention any other teams. He only mentions the teams that had given him a scholarship offer out of high school. Okay. So it looks like I'm going to say article that his dead said I'm playing for Rocky Long. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what he what Loy mentions in particular is the fact that you know at the moment they still don't have an offensive coordinator. They still don't have a quarterbacks coach. And and they still don't have a defensive coordinator. So <laughs> pretty pretty bare there. So they don't have you know. So it, like I said, it's based on the decisions that the program makes, he could still end up there. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of a big deal that he decided to take a step back. And it's not to say that San Diego State all of a sudden just doesn't have any options. I think what it does is it kind of throws them into this morass that we're probably going to see a lot of across the Mountain West where all of a sudden there's a lot of uncertain quarterback situations. Well, and also when you look at it, sign the set part, signing day part two is coming up in about what three weeks, four weeks. Yeah. And at the moment, I don't believe they have a quarterback signed in their 2020 class. So there's a chance that they could bring someone in, but you know, at the same time, you know, they still have Jordan Brookshire on the roster, even though he wasn't able to win the starting job over Ryan Agner last year, they still have Carson Baker who, you know, he looked pretty good against BYU mm-hmm. if he didn't exactly set the world on fire. Thir- remember, so, thirteen to three victory. So just so you know, not setting the world on fire. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, but he, did, you know, again, what San Diego State typically asks of a quarterback is not that much, and so by those standards, he, yeah, he did fine. Yeah. So you know, if it comes down to either of those guys, or if it comes down to someone like you know Mark Salazar, who's still on the roster, uh, even though he's a junior now, and hasn't really made waves in the quarterback competition in the last couple of years. You know, they they have options there. None of them might be exciting, but you know, you never know how these things are going to turn out. You know, some of them might depend on the coaching hires. Some of them might depend on the recruiting or if they make the right hires, they could bring Sears back into the fold. We just don't know at this point. Well, it makes sense for him too, because like you said, there's no, the staff is bare, no OC, no QB coach. Um, we kind of know what Brady Hoke's done before at Michigan and at San Diego State and Ball State. He kind of spreads out a little bit, and he's more of a pocket-style guy, so maybe there's that to consider. But it's going to be who he wants to be his coach. Because yeah. it, there's a lot of things like you hear all the time, well, you're, you're committed to the school. Come on. It's it's not usually the school. It's usually the coach and system. Because it's like, like for example, let's say you were a – let's say Kennedy Matalu went to Arizona, which was a rumor, BYU a couple years ago. And you're committed to that school under Kevin Sumlin or whoever's there before Rich Rod and uh, Bronco Mendel, all those two schools. And you know what they run. And you're a wide receiver, and Ken is your coach. You're going to want to weigh your options and try not to go there because you have no, uh, no, you have no, exp- no well, what I'm trying to say, you don't want to be in the offense because it's not going to help you. The school may be great and everything, but you want to play football and you don't want to be a guy who gets three targets a game playing a triple option offense. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's, there are reasons why the transfer portal is booming yeah, in yeah. the last few years. There's good reasons and not good reasons, but that's like a good reason when like when the coach – because, again, coach, this wasn't Rocky Long leaving somewhere. He decided to step down for a, very, a variety of reasons, possibly over coaching staff issues on his end of keeping who he wanted to keep that wasn't able to be worked out. But they're fine. If if I'll give – I think we both agree. If players should have freedom to move nearly what coaches have or close to it because of – it's not fair for what coaches can do, and plus they get paid, plus all sorts of other things. But it'll be fine. It's just uh, hey, he's just looking around. So don't freak out, Aztec fans. It may still happen. It's just that he wants to see what fits him best, especially the grad transfer. He wants to come out and play right away, which he'd have the 
a very good chance to do so at San Diego State. Yeah. So I, we have one ever transfer. I'm con- curious about your thoughts on it. I thought the academies were different, but Isaiah Sanders is leaving Air Force Academy. Yeah, so that's because he wants to go to grad school, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And what the what the academy does is they don't really do grad school. Mm-hmm. True. In a nutshell, right? Yeah. Because that's that's the same reason that Kyle Johnson, the linebacker, is leaving as well. Yes. So, you know, Sanders leaving is is a big deal because, and we've talked about this multiple times in previous podcasts, but when the quarterback takes as much punishment as as they typically do with the Falcons, you want to make sure you have a good plan B. And even though Sanders didn't necessarily play as big a role as I thought that he might this year, just because, you know, Hammond was mostly healthy and, you know, very productive when he was on the field, it's still kind of a big deal because, you know, with Sanders gone and and I believe Mike Schmidt was a senior as well. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, what is plan B? Well, we got Donald Hammond there, so it's plan A. Yeah. But the past couple of years, outside of this year, they this year is kind of an anomaly where Hammond played basically the entire season. Mm-hmm. Like, there are very few injuries, but past couple of years, like going back, like the, between Tim Jefferson and now, they've played multiple quarterbacks every year for yeah. extended period of times. And so it's a big deal that way. But also, one thing, too, the Academy. Without they they don't get four years they don't get the five years to play four there's no registering so you have to you're done in four years graduate everything you do for school you're done in four years yeah and, so as of right now they only have one other quarterback and, and they haven't even put their 2020 roster up yet I'm imagining there's that's going to take some time mm-hmm. but on their 2019 roster the only other quarterback that presumably will be on the spring roster is Warren Bryan who was a sophomore last year so he'd be a junior this year I imagine he would be at least starting in the QB two position, but you know, you never know what, uh, what they're bringing in for their recruiting class. I imagine they probably won't get a graduate. No, transfer. they, they, they don't won't get a transfer. Well, you can't get a grad transfer. Plus there's true. nobody's going to transfer into air force anyways. Very long, Unless you're like maybe a freshman and like, like I, I think we've seen it transfer within the Academy. So army Navy, maybe yeah, yeah. some other academies, FCS level, but yeah, you're not transferring in. And so, one thing that's interesting, too, because I always thought under pressure, maybe it changed, I'm totally wrong, but I believe that if you're going to leave the academy, Air Force specifically, to for it to fulfill your commitment, because he has to be, well, let me back up, you had to leave by a sophomore to say, I don't want to be in Air Force, I don't want to I don't want to spend whatever X amount of years after, graduate, after yeah. I graduate to commit to the Armed Forces. But with him, what this, maybe it's changed, but reading what Brett Brighamans did, pretty good thing at the Colorado Spring Gazettes recently, about this, he has to be approved from Air Force at a grad to have a uh, program that fits what he, I believe, if I remember, fits kind of what he already did school for already at the mm-hmm. academy. And then it's still he's supposed to have that commitment afterwards, but it has to be a grad school they prefer, like a program that would benefit him. Yeah, and so that's a little bit different. And then now there's a new thing where the um, restrictions are loosened on going pro after. Instead of, because remember when we talked about General Burnett, like draft day, like day two of the draft, I remember I'm in a grocery store and you put some up, like, what's going on? What's this? He, Robinet, he's going to be an XFL now, but he could have been drafted. They changed the last second. Nope, you cannot be in the, uh, you cannot be uh, eligible to play essentially and defer or find an alternate route to serve your, uh, t- not time, but I mean, fulfill your commitment at the academy, whether it be off season or 
delay it down the road something else. So that's kind of loosened as well, which is why he probably wants to leave too. Heck, if he wants to be a shot in the NFL, maybe he'll be a wide receiver or something, a running back. Or, but that's it's an interesting note that he's leaving too, and it kind of puts the Air Force in a bind a little bit because last year was anomaly compared to the past five years before quarterback. Well, and I think that, you know, obviously you have losing that backup quarterback is going to be a sore spot. I would say that losing Johnson is probably more significant, though, just because, you know, what Air Force has done over the last couple of years really well is, is stop the run. And Kyle Johnson was definitely a part of that. You know, he had five and a half tackles for loss, you know, had a couple of sacks, you know, had, you know, 82 tackles for this team. And it kind of speaks to one of the larger issues that the Falcons are going to have to deal with maybe more so than anybody. And that's just having to replace leaving, you know, losing all the production that you're leaving. And, you know, I don't know if you saw what Bill Connolly put out there yesterday. Oh, yeah. The production is not looking good for the conference. Well, okay. So let me preface all this, right? (laughs) So in case you didn't see it, you should should be following Bill Connolly as is at ESPN underscore Bill C. So he has a thread because he's working on his returning production articles of some kind. First big thing to keep in mind is that of the 10 conferences in the FBS level, as far as returning production by conference, the Mountain West is dead last. As a conference, they're returning 59% of last year's production, and that includes offense and defense. But what he also mentioned, uh, among the bottom 10 teams, the only Mountain West team in the top 10 or the bottom 10 is Air Force. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, because Air Force was the first team that he listed, I don't know if that means that they are dead last or if they are 10th from last. But either way, it kind of speaks to that larger point. You know, you're losing Sanders, you're losing Johnson to transfer. Um, And that's in addition to losing guys like, for instance, Gerard Sanders and Ben Waters, both of whom were seniors. Guys like Moseseth Fia and Jeremy Fadjulam on defense. That's going to be the one thing that they will have to wrestle with more so than pretty much every other team in the conference. And, you know, and, it, and it kind of sucks because these guys want to go to grad school and you can't fault them for that. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're left kind of seeing, you're wondering what the off, excuse me, what the on-field product is going to look like come springtime because that's just two more holes that they're going to have to fill in the depth chart one way or another. Christmas has come and gone, but the Super Bowl is quickly approaching. We've seen just what our teams are capable of this season, and now it's time to get your last bets in before the bowl. Will the Ravens be able to get it done? Will Brady and the Patriots get themselves another ring? I bet you have a feeling. Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. MyBookie is one of the most trusted in the industry. If you're looking for a sports book to make some bets for the bowl games, MyBookie is where you want to go. Football, not your thing? Well, don't worry about it. My bookie's got it all from the NBA to the Premier League. They've got the fastest payouts, best promotions, and a very helpful 24-7 customer service team. You can even pull your bets together for a bigger payout. Let's say you got a couple of big favorites this week. Parlay those wagers, let you bet multiple games together, and if they all come through, you win big. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. If you join right now... My bookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code Mountain West to activate that offer. Once again, that's promo code Mountain West to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid. Yeah, and so it's going to be interesting over the whole conversation. He's also, I'm looking at his tweets now, he's also starting doing his like, per game performance stuff, trying to go back and find it, but. 
it's going to be interesting for air, like speaking of the Air Force, if they have an injury at quarterback or whoever comes in secondary or defensive back or linebacker, it's all the same, I guess, if I'm saying DB and secondary. They, it's already an area they struggle as is typically. They're mm-hmm. not they're not great, and so they expect like ten wins again with losing these not losing whoever may be like Jackson and other guys and just a returning talent. It's going to be tough to have the offense overachieve that much without an experienced backup quarterback if something happens. Mm-hmm. And it's like they'll be good, but it'll be tough to replicate last year, but we'll see. Should we talk about at least one guy who's an interesting arrival into the conference? Who do you got? Nick Starkle. Okay. When I when the when the when the news was announced, I I feel kind of bad about it in retrospect. But I put the, I put the tweet out there. I was like, did did San Jose State watch this guy play? Yeah, I, but, yeah, they was, did up close, was, up close. <laughs> and that was firmly tongue in cheek, of course. But Nick Starkle was, shall we say, very wildly uneven last year with Arkansas. Yeah, if you want to put it that way. I want to be nice about it, yeah. But you know, it's. <laughs> I just looked up a stat line from last year. Oof. Yeah, maybe a little more down than up. So if you're not looking at it, you know, he completed fifty three point six percent of his passes, seven touchdowns, ten interceptions, passer rating of one hundred nine point four three. If you're looking for glimmers of hope, he did complete over seventy percent of his passes against both Ole Miss and Texas A and M. Okay, I've heard of those teams. They're pretty good. And in the six or so games that he started, because he missed some time in the later half of the year, I'm assuming they were going through a quarterback supple. I didn't pay that much attention to Arkansas football. But here's something else to keep in mind, though. They played a lot of close games in the first half of the year, Arkansas did, including the San Jose State game. They lost by seven. They lost by four on a neutral field, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, against A&M. Yeah, it would have been Lost Jerry by World. four at Kentucky. So he was keeping them in games, even if he wasn't necessarily lighting the world on fire. And outside of that San Jose State game, and again, and outside of a, you know, he started against Alabama and apparently threw, <laughs> completed five passes and threw three interceptions. Yeah. But, you know, outside of that, he was okay, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. I, I, I don't know. I'm looking for, I'm looking for upside. He here. was 7 of 19 versus Kentucky. Three of ten versus Louisiana State. Um, he was twenty thirty five versus Colorado State, which is uh, mm-hmm. one of two victories he had. Here's the thing too: Nick Starkles also was for Texas A and M, so this is his third school as well. Mm-hmm. So if we're gonna put any stock in grad transfers or multiple transfer guys, I know at San Jose State they improved last year. They're probably gonna take a step back a little bit. I would say. I don't. He's. I'll say this: he's not gonna walk in and get this job right away. No, I mean, I well, m- maybe you'd hope not. Maybe I mean it's hard to say because you know they don't have. Oh, actually, they do have the roster. What I'll say is, you know, they could approach it in the same way that they did last year, where you know, yes, Josh Love was QB one and he was offensive, you know, player of the year in the conference and everything. But let's not forget that Nick Nash is also still on the roster. Ooh. And there was that stretch of about a month before he got knocked out for the year where he was actually the team's leading rusher. So it wouldn't surprise me if they chose to, you know, do a kind of dual QB package 
but you know, I don't think that it's necessarily a situation where that he's going to walk in and and win the job too. He's still going to have to earn it because yeah, that's what I mean. At least because yeah. they recruited pretty well in the last couple of years, and they brought in a couple, at least a couple of three star guys. You know, most notably Alec Trujillo, who I believe redshirted last year. Um, you know, Chance LaChapelle is still on the roster, so they've got guys who could still make a difference. But I think that if he does come in and does earn the starting role, you know, give give Kevin McGiven a pay raise if he does that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just leave it at that. We'll see how it goes. Um, any other uh, transfer news you want to get to? Well, do we want to talk about? I guess we could t- talk about a couple of different things because we haven't really touched upon it on the podcast at all. Is is Danny Gonzalez? Like how much is he gonna have to replace on defense? That's what I'm wondering. Uh, it's looking like it could be really dicey on that side of the football. It already was dicey. How much worse can it get? It already was dicey. Well, because Alex Hart is graduating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's gone. Aaron Blackwell, who you might remember from the viral weightlifting video a couple of years ago, <laughs> he's gone to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Trent Sellers is in the transfer portal. Dylan Horton has gone to TCU. Like who, who do they got left? What's more, what's what's before year zero? Is year, it, <laughs> year negative one, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. Mean, and, and the only reason mm. I bring it up is because, and I, we talked about this in a lot of preview podcasts. But for as rough as things were defending the pass in Albuquerque, they were actually pretty good defending the run. They were like in the middle of the pack as far as yards per carry allowed. And so losing a lot of those key playmakers up front is going to be really tough. It is. Uh, they were going to be bad anyway. So they're, like, are we going to put a pen and put them 12th place in the conference? That's already given, right? Yeah. Like I said, I don't know if it's going to be an outright like you know, wasteland of talent. But I think there could there's definitely gonna be a lot more downs and there are ups i think at least thinking about next fall this just gives the positive side this gives the opportunity for anybody out there who's who's gone to the team to just step up and prove that you're that good and take over these guys who are gone and crush the offensive in front of you that's true you and i mean i think to a, to a lesser extent i have the same kind of question about colorado state Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously Colin Hill has gone to South Carolina, but they have Patrick O'Brien. He looks good. He looked pretty good. So I think that they're at least set on that front. What I am more interested in is how they're going to rebuild the offensive line. Because two of the guys who started the majority of the games last year, TJ Stormont and Nureyden Nuili, they're gone. You know, Stormont, he originally committed to Purdue and then changed his mind and went to TCU. Uh, and then uh, Nueli uh, ended up in Nebraska. So it was already a, a unit that was very up and down last year. Obviously, they showed that they could pave the way for Marvin Kinsey, you know, create a lot of explosive plays in the passing game by keeping the quarterback upright. So maybe it won't be that big of a deal with the change in the offense. I mean, obviously, we don't know what kind of offense the Rams are going to be running in spring ball and, and going forward. But it is one of those things that when I'm thinking about questions that need to be answered starting in the spring, that to me across the conference is one of the most important ones. I definitely will. We'll get to all these kind of position breakdowns and stuff. But as you can tell, we're talking about the portal. There's a lot of movement going in and out. 
Oh yeah. And we have a page set up. I I've updated it recently. I'm not sure how much we're both hopping in there, but there's a good I've amount. Up, I have last I last updated it. Uh, I think two or three days ago. We're recording on January 26th. Okay. I know I put in one or two like the. I, I know I put Isaiah Sanders. I think I missed Johnson, but there's a handful. Leaving is easier to find the coming in, but we got the uh, transfer portal link to look into as well, just in case when that pops up. There's but, still a long way to go. There's, there's going to be a lot more names coming through, I think. Also, think about too, get names will come through now. When spring, when going through spring practice, hey, oh, I don't get the starting job. I'm like, gra- I'm, poof, I'm out of there. You know what I mean? Exactly. That could, that could be some guys who are hoping to battle. Like, okay, they're going to stick it out. They're going to get their semester paid for in school, go through spring practice and see how it's going to be. And then and go on. Also consider just because we have guys here who put their intent to transfer, you guys, sometimes you can, well, not sometimes, but you are, are able to still come back to the school. Yes. If you want to, but also one thing to consider looking at this last year, cause it's still brand new for everybody. The portal thing is that coaches are holding scholarships here and there just in case you get a transfer portal guy or a grad transfer guy. You better hope if you're gone, you don't get stuck in no man's land, and have to go to division two or FCS just to play football, particularly if you haven't graduated, which you're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And so guys who oh, go to the portal, go leave and come back. Well, maybe the coach doesn't want you to come back because you let, you're in the portal. It's like, why do I want you back? You're quitting on the team, essentially. There's that aspect. Or, hey, you, we, you're running back position X left. Oh, we have a running back here. We're going to bring him in. Sorry, there's no room for you unless you want to walk back on the school. No scholarship available for you. So yeah. I'm, I don't know how many people are listening or players listening to our show. Maybe one. I don't know. But what I'm getting at is that just because the portal's out there, it's a good tool. Use it responsibly. Because... There's not a, an unlimited amount of scholarships for you out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, should we get to do we need to do any? I guess we'll do super quick senior bowl stuff. Jordan Love looked fine, doing well. <laughs> he's uh, he's getting a lot of hype. I mean, I, I I didn't get a chance to watch the game, but I, I read a lot uh, about the practices leading up to the game, and I listened to a couple podcasts. Um, one of which I believe I mentioned on Twitter. The the one of the most recent uh, Ringer NFL shows. They had Danny Kelly on. Um, I believe he has Love listed in his initial top 32 prospects. If I if I can remember off the top of my head, I believe he was number 31, actually. Um, but he had a lot of nice things to say about Love going into practice. Him and Justin Herbert look, apparently look pretty good for the North. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, Herbert was the was he the week MVP or was he the game MVP? Herbert, I don't recall. I know Love got Offensive Practice Player of the Week voted by a position group that they went against. Yeah, I, I can't recall. But I know Herbert did well. Uh, Herbert did a touch better than left throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So, but you're right. Like, looking through, I did some roundups kind of today. I posted something quick, just kind of a couple of things here or there. One thing that's interesting, like, some people, well, a lot of people still have him first round, possibly, like, to the Saints I've seen, which would be interesting with the news. Drew Brees is saying he made his, he will decide on his future in about a month where he will retire back in that situation. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is probably not going to be around next year. They do have Taysom Mill, who's something of a quarterback air quotes in something because he does a lot of different things <laughs> or maybe air quotes for quarterback Matt that's the proper term for him at the moment um I see as high as the Raiders take over for Derek Carr I've seen him go to New England if Tom Brady comes back and he stays another year or two there and kind of learns but the most one of the interesting thing is like Todd McShay watching practices saying he reminds him of Patrick Mahomes which like oh that's great that's amazing well if you want to, if you listen to the whole comment, it's more along the lines of, well, Mahomes made mistakes in college, this, this, that, and that he's coachable, so it's still a good thing, maybe not an amazing thing. He's comparing Mahomes to at Texas Tech, not. Say, maybe we should tap the brakes on that. Yeah, a little bit. the comparison was that they both had things to work on, and that they look similar coming out of college. That doesn't necessarily mean just because they look similar out of college, they'll be the same in the NFL because there's fit, 
scheme, all sorts of stuff that can go on. But it's still a pretty good price because even coming out of college, Mahomes was – I think it's a good comparison because he's considered like a mid-round, first-round pick. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I could definitely see that. And I think if the draft were tomorrow, I could see him definitely in that 16 to 32 range. Because, you know, with with a guy like Love, it's not about the stat sheet. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit uneven this year, but we saw multiple times, you know, I'm thinking first and foremost about like the Fresno State game, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, the Wake Forest game where, you know, he can make throws. He has the kind of arm that you can't teach a lot of quarterback prospects. And it reminded me, too, of another article that I saw come across my Twitter timeline, uh, I believe it was a couple days ago. It was from last June um, from the guys over at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, mm-hmm. which if you're not familiar with that website, it's definitely very interesting. I encourage you to check it out. There was an article by Mark Schofield who basically, you know, it's about Jordan Love and it's about processing speed. And it's just basically a breakdown of what Love is seeing on one particular play and just how quickly he is moving through progressions and things like that. And I think it's the kind of thing where when he's on, it's easily the kind of thing you see in real time. Like, you know, he's you know going through his first read, second read, third, and then he's like connecting on his third read right away or something like that. So I would encourage everybody to check it out because it was one of those things where you know, I would say that that's a strength of his. You know, the the uh, you know maybe holding onto the ball a little too long is where he starts getting into trouble, um, or maybe the process of speed is moving a little too fast and he's making the wrong decision because of it. But those are the kinds of things that a smart NFL team can iron out in the long run. I think you would hope so. I just go back. I'll bring a ball a million times. All those picks with linebacker drop back and catch. You got to fix that quickly. He's going to get eaten alive in the NFL if, they, if he can't see a linebacker in zone who's either spying him or see or does a step back for noticing a receiver behind him. Those type mm-hmm. of stuff. You can, but then again, you're right. You see the throws like to Sosie Mariners throwing down the sideline, uh, the 80-yard or whatever it may be, multiple times. But it's just the thing where maybe it's just coaching. It's not a talent thing. People like Some guy replied to us on Twitter, well, it's different from Josh Allen because, well, they all lost talent. Josh Allen, which – had a lot of drop passes, which, fair or not, yes, that's the case a little bit. But Love was, like, making bad throws and bad plays and thinking about bad throws and bad plays, like, mentally, like, I'm going to make this throw, can't make it, or whatever. It wasn't necessarily of him throwing behind, a little bit behind guys, but, like, some of the picks you see are just, like, bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just a coach, like, hey, just maybe he needs better film study. Maybe he needs a touch here or there to be better. But, like, with Josh, with Josh Allen, we're talking about with him, it was – I always – even though I said I wasn't the biggest fan of him for being drafted up, taken for the, by the Bills, he was still a rocket arm guy. His – he still was only completing 50 some percent of his passes. He was basically the same guy with the great talent, without the great talent. And it's kind of proven me right a little bit in the NFL where he's still kind of a – not a run-first guy, but – well, actually, he is on third and two watching Texans game in the playoffs. He has a lot of run-first guy on third and two. They weren't trusting him to do play action to even throw the ball. And so if he's in the right situation, like – Allen's doing fine with the Bills. He's in the right situation to what he's been doing. He could still be better to throw better. He could be stand to have a better number of receiver than Cole Beasley on his team. So Love needs coaching, maybe some talent, which you'll get in the NFL. I just – I it'll, it'll happen. If he's a first-round pick, he'll be starting by, by at worst game 12 if he's a first-round pick. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if a team traded up to get him. Ooh. I think – well, yeah, I mean, I don't – because, I mean, I don't think like he's – I don't think he's a Patrick Mahomes, just to go back to that initial call. Um, 
but you know, Kansas City did trade up to get Mahomes. But I, mean, I also, I, but I also don't think he's like a, for instance, because he's the first person that came to mind when I was thinking about this was Christian Ponder. He's hmm. he's a better quarterback prospect than Christian Ponder. I would think so. Close. Yeah. So it's that it's that. You know, I guess if we're looking for recent comps as far as how the draft unfolded, maybe something like Dwayne Haskins, where the Redskins didn't necessarily need to trade up to get him, but you know he was a quarterback prospect that maybe didn't have quite that high high ceiling of a Joe Burrow or a you know Daniel Jones question mark, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that you know if he ends up in the right situation with a smart team around him and going back to Josh Allen, you know. They built the team to suit his needs. Yes, that's what that's what smart teams do. So, you know, if he ends up in the right situation again, I think a team like Carolina could be interesting, yeah. or like well, you they, said, a team like the Saints could be interesting. I think the Saints would be number one pick for me. I could see Carolina, but also got I know we talked about before Kyle Allen, whatever he's he's rookie there. I guess if you're going to go for a first round pick, you're going to pick Love over Allen and over Allen end of the week to take over for Cam Newton, mm-hmm. but. Cam Newton, his status is TBD out in Carolina. Yeah. And so there. here's what's interesting with Love really quick. We won't make this huge draft stuff because I want to get to our Boise State stuff, which is fascinating in my opinion. We'll get to, but if he goes to the Saints with Drew Brees, like him, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, like that's a similar offense where he's running with David Yost. They want to sling the ball, Sean Payne, they'll throw it around the place. New England has no playmakers. A receiver, maybe Nikhil Henry could be that guy. They have no running back. They just kind of put guys in there who get the job done, do well enough, which million Super Bowls to Bill Belichick. But like, as for to build the team around him, Michael Thomas and the Saints does a good job. Going to Drew Brees, like doing being his backup for a year if he plays, because Bridgewater is going to be gone almost for a, a cer- certainty. Yeah. So build for the future. Raiders could be interesting. That's kind of a maybe too high pick for me. Like if he goes to Raiders, would he start over Derek Carr midseason? Perhaps, maybe. Maybe I mean, not. I don't. I don't really buy that situation happening. I'm not sure either. You're also looking at Tom Brady to come to the Raiders as well. So there's that. Like, does Tennessee want a quarterback? Because I'm confident they're going to franchise Ryan Tannehill just to see what he can do for a full year. Bringing a backup there, but that's like a handoff position to Derek Henry. And I mean, you're not throwing yeah, the ball yeah. unless you're Corey Davis. Like, could he go to? Maybe Tampa Bay, if they don't believe in James Woodson, is Bruce Arian going to give him a big contract after being 30-30 club in the NFL? First guy ever. 30 TDs, 30 picks. That's not good. Like, he could go there, but he'd be the starter because if they've signed Woodson, he's staying. Like, Mm -hmm. Miami's going to probably take two most likely. It's like there's Chargers might be in need for a new quarterback if uh, Phillip Rivers leaves. Like, there's a handful of teams, but I think the number one spot would be the Saints for him to with Drew Brees as a starting quarterback. I can see that. So... Uh, but yeah, he did pretty well for the week. That's what we're getting at. So should we get to our big topic here now that we're end of the show burying the lead? Let's do it. Since we talk a lot of transfers. Boy State v. Mountain West. Don't call it a lawsuit, Matt. Do not call it a lawsuit. Yet? <laughs> That's why I put yet. But it's a lawsuit. Come on. They want a jury trial. Yeah. Trial. yeah. <laughs> so when, you, when we, we had this discuss our DM, one of our buddies from, or was it Josh, I believe, or Brad? Um Crap. Yeah, I believe it was Brad. Actually. Yeah, he sent over because they're like, "Hey, there's this a rumor that there's a lawsuit," and I'm like, "Okay." I was looking at the Idaho State stuff going through. I was looking at the wrong county because it's not in Boise County. I figured that makes sense, but it somebody found a message board like the the case number which was filed January 17th. I plugged it in, got the info, did an article on it. So the gist of it, like, there are some mind boggling things about it because if you haven't heard, which if you're listening to this, you probably have heard. Boise, Craig Thompson opens his big mouth, as we discussed before, Matt, 
to where, oh, this might probably, maybe, definitely, we'll see, possibly, yeah, who knows, last side deal for Boise State. So there's that problem, right, as we discussed mm-hmm. before. And then a couple of things also, like the two big things for me is that Boise State thinks they might be deserving of more money, right? Uh-huh. At least proportionally, I should say. Not like they wanted, like, I guess they wanted to, I think what their deal was, it wasn't clear, but you would maybe percentage-wise of the $1.8 million comparative to the other increase. Maybe that's what they're thinking they should get. And then the other one was that Craig Thompson and Boise, and yeah, you guys do a great job. You help our league so much. Does Craig Thompson, can I play poker with $1,000 or $100,000 on the line against Craig Thompson? I would win. We'd win every time, right? He he blabs his mouth about everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit unusual. A little bit. <laughs> so let me ask you this because you did this on Twitter. You're you're def- you're putting a lot of stuff online, which is fun in our handle, and I mostly agree with you. And it's about the I'm doing an article right now. I wanted it up a couple days ago. I didn't get it quite out. It's kind of the options, what could happen. But the thing is about what we mentioned last time before, before we got on the Twitter stuff, the team you brought up perfectly, the team Mountain West brought in from the WAC and early Mountain West is not the same team today. Mm-hmm. They are still um, at the top of the conference, I would say, overall, even winning-wise, what, them and San Diego State are at the top of the conference overall? Would that be fair? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, if we're talking about like conference championships, then yeah, and yeah. also by winning percentage. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 up there. The difference. And it's is- important. To, maybe it's important to preface this by saying, since 2011, essentially, because yeah. yeah. when I've been talking with people on Twitter, I've been referring from from 2011, which is when Boise State came to the conference. Well, that's the point because that's kind of the reason. Re- that's the perfect reason they went to the. Uh, they've had what one top ten season, which is amazing, and only one other top twenty season. That was their Fiesta mm-hmm. Bowl year, right? Yeah. Or no, sorry, th- excuse me, three. They had 11, 2011, they're eight. 2012, they're 18. And 2014 or 16, winning the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. And so besides that, they've had, since 20, like you go to 2011, like the year they came in, they've had three unranked seasons. They're doing yeah. well. Like they're winning games, 10 games, but, and then there's like a lot of weird arguments about it, but to get that money, they expected, like, can I ask you, let me back up and ask you this to Matt. Should Boise State, or excuse me, should Craig Thompson and Mountain West, should they have expected Boise State to still finish like a top 15 team every year? Do you think that was their expectation for bringing them into the league that we'll have maybe not top 10 team, but a top 15 team consistently? I mean, if <laughs> if I were putting myself in Craig Thompson's shoes, and I think this is essentially what I, the argument that I was making on, on Twitter, then yeah. Is that a far? You're not paying. You're not giving special treatment to a top twenty-five team. Anybody can do that. Anybody? Well, most everybody. But But, a lot of other teams. Yeah, have done done that, especially in like the last few years. Air Force finished higher than Boise State this year. By Boise State finished higher than than them last year. Mm -hmm. Yes. San Diego State did it in 2016 Mm and 2015. And in in 2015, like there were no teams ranked in the top twenty-five. But San Diego State finished with more votes at the end of that season. So that's our point game. But then again, I bring up, which other people have too, the brand name. How much more does the brand name carry to that money as well? Okay, so maybe I can just tease this out because I am actually working on an article where I'm trying to dig in as much as I can into the question of TV ratings because other people are talking about wins, which is which is great, right? And it's important, but, yes. 
And, you know, all the evidence that everybody brings to the table kind of makes it not as clear cut, you know, because, yes, it is true that they have won the most conference titles. But it is also true that, you know, as I pointed out a couple of times, they have been almost as likely to finish unranked as to finish in, you know, the 20 to 25 range mm-hmm. in the last seven years. But I think I could maybe tease it out a little bit with a couple of nuggets, at least from uh, the preliminary look at the spreadsheet I'm I'm working on right now. So take this for what you will, but in 2013 and 2014, Boise averaged essentially, and this is including all data points that I could find as far as TV ratings are concerned. Which means CBS Sports Network probably not included because they're not really. No, but this is essential. I mean, but it's it's illuminating because the vast majority of these games are ESPN networks, Mm -hmm. right? So in 2013, they averaged 1.36 million viewers per game. And this includes all the regular season games plus their bowl game, right? 2014, that number jumps up to 1.78, 1.79 if you want to round up, million. Since that time, they've cracked a million one time. Which game was that? Was that the Florida State game? No, 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 for, for a season. Oh, for a season, okay. For a season, and that was in 2017 when they averaged 1.02. Okay. Oh, average, sorry, I misheard what you said, okay. Yeah, so, you know, yes, on the one hand, they did, you know, for the Las Vegas Bowl for this year, they, they drew in a 1.6 rating, 2.6 million people. On ABC over their TV as well, to remember. But, you know, their championship game against Hawaii was less than half of what it was the year before when they hosted Fresno State. So, I mean, there's, to me, it seems like kind of conflicting information as to like, and again, this is just preliminary stuff. So there's probably some context that I haven't been able to tease out of it just yet. Like other games up against stuff like that too. This is just considering everything all at once, which, you know, again, depending on how you choose to frame it, you could probably, you know, it probably makes one argument or the other more convincing. But just looking at raw totals, you can see that there's a drop from the first couple of years of the deal. And I, and I couldn't find that many data points for 2012. So I, you know, I could mention it, but I didn't really see much in that regard. So between 2013 and 2014, and basically everything that's happened after that, the, what I will acknowledge, at least as far as the, the data that I've been able to dig into, as far as the other teams are concerned, is that there is a little bit of a difference between, you know, what Boise has been able to bring in and what other teams have been able to bring in. Like, for example, uh, Colorado State had four data points for this past fall. They averaged 632,000 viewers across four games. Boise, by contrast, averaged uh, 957,000. So you're talking about, what, one and a half times, maybe? Okay. You know, Fresno State would, you know, they have like four data points. They averaged uh, 683,000. You know, Hawaii, um, including, you know, their bowl game, they averaged, they were basically neck and neck with with Boise State. So, again, it, depend, it depends on how you slice it, I think. You know, some teams are going to have more data points than others just by virtue of, you know, not being on CBS Sports Network as often. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can look, you can kind of dig in and see, you know, yes, there's a difference, but is the difference where it needs to be for the Mountain West to justify giving them special treatment? I did find, with, without sure. knowing the conference's thinking 
and without not having all of the data at my disposal just yet, it's it's I don't know what that answer is. Like you can see that there's a difference, but to me, the big question is, is that difference still justifiable at this That's point? True. Because again, if they're not bringing in as many viewers as they were, just looking at the raw totals again, you know, again, you know, what does that, does that justify special treatment? I don't have that answer yet. I can present some hypotheses when I finish the article and I post it, which, you know, be on the lookout for that. But that's just something to keep in mind. I did find some 2012 numbers for you real quick, Matt. Well, I mean, I found a couple of data points for 2012. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about BYU and Michigan State. Yeah, there's only two you could find. Yeah. So, you know, make it that way you will. I guess another thing I'll say, which I don't know how well this holds to every team, because again, I haven't finished every team yet. As much as everybody hates the Friday kickoffs, it seems like the Friday kickoffs do really well for everyone. You mean the 4.2 million people who watch Michigan State, Boise State? <laughs> okay, so let me let me go, let me throw this back to more recent history. So this year. Boise's played two games on Friday, Air Force and Marshall. If you look at the t- at the games that they played this year, the only two games that did well, Marshall was their second best game of the year behind the bowl game. Uh, Air Force drew in almost nine hundred thousand viewers, and that was like in the top five, I think, as far as their viewership. But you know, if you go back through past years, you'll see kind of a difference between the numbers that are getting brought in for the Friday night games versus the, the you know Saturday afternoon for the most part or Saturday night games. So that's again something else to keep in mind. And I'll definitely get, I'm definitely going to take a closer look at that when I have all the information at my disposal. It's probably that I guess it's the fewer games. You know what I mean? That type of deal. Well, to me, it kind of it could evoke kind of a chicken or egg mm-hmm. question like is the friday night game more popular because boise state's on there or is it more popular because it's a friday night game and there's not two, two options if you're six a other games fan. to compete yeah. with yeah all right so do you want to lean like so who's let me ask you so where, where are you leaning on this and because i could see both both sides like okay i can agree boise state but the problem i have with if you'll get kind of like the legal standpoint not a lawyer here but when Craig Thompson spouts his mouth, especially if this goes to trial or like Boise's looking for an edge, like reading through the the uh, lawsuit or I guess not a lawsuit, whatever you want to call it, the filing, they point out top 25 wins, rankings, Fiesta Bowl, every chance they get in that thing. But if I'm looking at the side that could, probably could win this, if even not even win like a court case because they go to jury trial, who knows what happens? That's wild and wacky. And who knows what could be the case? That could be the outcome. But say it goes to some sort of mediation. Craig Thompson spouting his mouth off again up in Boise. Oh, you guys do so great. You do so much for the league. It's a lose. The Boise's going to win this at landslide because Craig Thompson's already admitted to how great Boise State is and how much money they bring to the league. So if you look just at that standpoint, Boise has the upper hand here based on Craig Thompson speaking, but not necessarily the facts like you're going through or what we're looking through, like the TV ratings, the what's the brand really mean, which is ratings. The, the win-loss total, that's out the window if Craig Thompson admits that the Boise State brings more value to the league just by itself. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say the same thing I said last time, though. The, as far as I can tell, the words in perpetuity don't appear in the contract anywhere. True, yes. So, you know, obviously legal matters are not necessarily my field of expertise, but in my interpretation, you couldn't lay out the argument that because it doesn't say in perpetuity you it could imply different things it could no it definitely could but it could imply that diminishing returns you know from the conference's perspective don't necessarily necessitate special treatment at a certain point 
Like, that's the thing. I th- I'm wondering, when they put this back in, like, they just rushed it through just to keep Boise State and said, screw long-term, we'll deal with this ne- later. And now it's coming to full force in their face when new ADs, new presidents are in looking at what's going on. But, so let's just play a little game here real quick to wrap this up because we're already pe- just about the hour mark here. There's a lot more to get to. This will go down the road. It'll be resolved who knows when or what. There's only a couple options. I'm almost finished with my piece now, but kind of chat about it here. The options that are out there are pretty limited. Boise, Boise State can look at the American, which I think is going to be on the table because they have 11 teams with UConn getting the boot. They could join that conference, and it's not a big deal. They play four or five road games. Like, they go to Hawaii occasionally. What's the big deal about going to South Florida? You know what I mean? Or going to wherever. They going go to, to Hawaii once every four years. True, true. And that might be the case if they go to South Florida, USF in the conference, UCF. That would be the same thing probably once every four years, assuming let's just play the game, the scheduling rotation similar to the Mountain West, which I probably is. It makes sense. It's not the SEC who does weird stuff. But if it's the same, like Boise to South Florida, probably the same from Boise to Miami, Boise to Honolulu, it's probably a wash, right? <laughs> Off the top of my head, I would guess that Honolulu is probably farther. But not much farther. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just saying it's farther, but I mean like it's – what, an extra, maybe an hour? But my point being, like, you only traveled a couple times, so it's not very much there. The only problem to come up with is, does Leon Rice, or basketball coach, want to go to the WAC or Big Sky? I and, had no idea. And the WAC has teams that are unrecognizable to those Boise State fans, like Utah Valley University, Utah, or Texas Rio Grande Valley, Chicago State, like New Mexico State, Grand Canyon. It's like, they could do that and say, screw other sports, we'll go for football. They could Mountain West. They could Boise could find no option to say, "All right, we'll stay in the Mountain West and figure a deal out." Whether that whether that's uh, more money, less money, save money or not, and they're screwed because they have nowhere to go. They could try independence, which that'd be the same problem with their non-revenue sports. But if they go independent, they'd play like BYU, Liberty, New Mexico State, UMass, or those teams they want to play, and hopefully they can schedule enough games like home and homes or two for ones versus Florida Big Twelve, Pac twelve. Maybe that may take years to get it, or Bigger, thinking even bigger, there's two other options I got real quick. San Diego State and Air Force make a Western division to get to 14 teams and go from there for American and Mountain West is down to that's, that's 19. I'm just throwing the, that's a wild one out there. I'm just saying. Well, actually, it's my second to last wild one. You don't think that's the case? You don't think San Diego State fans would want to go to the American? They want, they were going to be in the Big East too, remember, Matt? I mean, I'm sure that they would, but I mean, I just don't see a cross continental conference happening like that. I, 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 I feel can, like it would be really cost prohibitive. It would be tough because even if they do a, because what it would be where it would be not as much is that you'd have seven teams in each division, they'd get Boise and Air Force, but then the next closest game is like Houston or SMU. You know what I mean? Or Tulane. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, your division your division games would be in like Memphis and yeah. Tulsa. Yeah, that'd be tough. I just think if they want to go bigger and get that football brand out there, I wouldn't put it past it to say no. If that's the case. My biggest, most wild scenario is somehow a new conference is formed. Hear me out, okay? okay. I'm just okay. saying because let's just I'm, say I'm listening. I'm just saying let's just say Boise. Remember, we had the airport meeting for the old WAC and back in the day, '98. Yeah. So you would need at least eight teams to make a conference, make it viable, and you don't need a. If you want to do a championship game, you don't need that either. You don't need 12 teams. So they, let's just say they go eight teams. I'm telling you, I'm wondering. I don't know, because it would it have to include BYU, which would be interesting. Just why wouldn't you would take like uh, 
it'd have to take most of Mountain West with it, so that'd be part of it too. Like you'd have to pull out San Diego State, yes, BYU, Boise State, maybe Air Force, and four other teams. But the problem with that is, which I'm running the cross looking into, is that are you, is it basically would be the Mountain West and BYU? You know what I mean? But I'm just saying. What's the point? I know that's that's what I'm saying. Like, is there more money? Could there be more money? And would even BYU, because they already have a decent deal with ESPN, would there be more money if they were to say, who are the best six, seven teams in the Mountain West? If you're taking those top seven teams and BYU, would that be enough to get more money with so fewer games? They'd probably make less money, right? <sighs> even if you have the two good brands in Boise and BYU and a winning program like San Diego State, Air Force has a decent national brand. Who are you going to bring in? UNLV and hope their basketball turns around? Wyoming CSU, it's like the same conference. I mean, I, I think in that case, you'd probably be at a disadvantage because when you look at the larger college football landscape, yeah, okay, you have seven conference games and you can do whatever you want that way, but um, you're not changing the fact that the Pac-12 only has three non-conference games. Yeah. Like, SEC, what are you going to do? Are you going to just go play a lot more Conference USA games? Are you going to go play a lot more Sunbelt teams, like the Texas teams or whatever? Like. Yeah, whatever they gain in rooting out the bottom of the current Mountain West, they'd probably lose it in not being able to make up for it in non-conference play. That's one thing I want to bring up as well. You're actually, that's what I was thinking too as well, because Big Ten plays nine games. Um, ACC has eight games plus Notre Dame. Every five, te- five teams play Notre Dame every year. Yeah. You, you have the uh, nine-game um, Big Ten as well. Or excuse me, Big 12 and Big Ten. So it's like SEC, you can play them. All, only road games are playing SEC most of the time. Yeah, and, and then um, good luck. Yeah. And, but that's what they want to bring up, too. Like, somebody brought up, which I, I was thinking about. I'm like, it's valid, but it's not valid. With the ranking situation, like Boise State, this will probably be the last little bit we'll get here, but the ranking point where, well, they haven't been ranked this X amount of spots, top 20. Their point was, well, back when they played in the WAC, they only played eight conference games, I believe. So they had more chances to play ranked teams. Do you buy that argument at all that Boise had – because they had more opportunities to play bigger teams, they could be ranked better. But I don't recall them playing like multiple big time schools when even when they're whack in the same year. Well, I mean, they're not also they're also not playing like a top ten Georgia team anymore. True, there's that as every well. other year. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not playing Oregon. a top twenty Oregon or something like Vitek, that. You know, yeah. Um, just you know, going by, and this is a very very rough count. Um, by you know, sports references strength schedule metric mm-hmm. you go back through the you know 2001 to 2010 and just at a glance you could see that there's there's basically a huge difference between the strength schedule that Boise State had on, on in general in the WAC than they do in the Mountain West it's been a lot closer to average yeah especially since the division realignment in 2013 um you know they they're, they're one real anal- you know, analogous season in the whack. It was 2010 with Nevada being really yeah. good. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, but, they were they were fighting an up, a different kind of uphill battle in the whack, just because, yeah, they were beating up everybody. Um, the, the the gap between them and everybody else in the whack was bigger. That's my point too. Yeah, that's it goes twofold there. Where one thing is that yeah, they're playing San Diego State more often. That's good, or CSU or Wyoming. But then again, do we've always seen AP poll preseason coming out? They'll have like one team ranked group of five. Mm -hmm. At the end of the year, we'll see four to six. So they're not getting the respect for beating a pretty good Hawaii or San Diego State team 
they're looking, oh, you beat Georgia, who's number 10 at the time. Oh, you beat Virginia Tech out in D.C. or Oregon. They're not mm-hmm. looking at, oh, you're beating a bunch of above-average teams where cumulatively beating a pair or trio of nine-win teams might actually be better than beating one top-12 team. Yeah. And so I kind of looked at them like, I could see it, but also I remember Boise, like you mentioned, they're not playing like those top-10 teams as much anymore. But they're not playing – like back then, they weren't playing Georgia and Vautech in a year. They weren't playing multiple top-20 non-conference games. Well, and and some of it too is like you know the the, the rigors of, of scheduling years out in advance. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what three four years ago, whenever they scheduled the Florida State game, we would have imagined that the Seminoles would be a top twenty team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would not have expected them to be struggling just to get to bowl eligibility. Firing the coaches, yeah, yeah. So you know, some of that to some extent is out of their control. But again, you know, part of it is too that, you know, in the last couple of years, especially, the conference has just gotten better. No, it hasn't. So it makes it to get. That's the thing too. So, um, ooh, hold on. I got a. Uh, oh, I cannot make this public. I'll tell you offline, Matt. Sorry. Okay. Right, I got. No I got, problem. I got a text. I'm like, ooh, that's big news. No, we can't get to it. But you're right. Like scheduling out, like, like looking really quick, like Oklahoma State in 2021. They're gonna be how good are they gonna be or. Oregon State's garbage a couple years ago. Maybe they'll be good in 2023. You know what I mean? They've mm-hmm. got UCF on the schedule. Maybe they one of those two teams will not be very good at that point, or maybe they'll be amazing. So, but my point that would, like, that would be hilarious if UCF was hot trash by the time they came to Boise. Cross my fingers every day that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like uh, like Oregon in 2025. Maybe they'll be just an okay team. But so while this is still in the early stages, we'll wrap it up here. In 20, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot five years down the road. In 2025, what conference is Boise State in? I think I will, they're in the Mountain West. Okay, after the next TV contract, because they'll be in the deal anyways. Yes. They're, so you say they're not leaving the Mountain West? I don't think so, no. Part You're two, asking me right now. Okay. Part two, will they get some sort of a deal that's been advantageous to them, either somewhat similar to what they're currently getting now? Hmm... Y- yes. Okay. I see the hesitation. I kind of agree with you on that part because, first off, going out on their own is going to be very difficult, whether it's American or not. That's tough. They may not realize they may not have options to go anywhere, too. I think what should be done and what could be done is that you make a – you do some sort of deal with Boise State has to earn certain thresholds within a conference to keep the money. And second, would you extend that to any other school that some that peaks or eclipses Boise State to a high level for over a certain number of years? Yeah, I don't see why not. I'm wondering if you're, how, be, if you're trying to be equitable. I mean, if you're trying to be the American, the American doesn't do this. If they leave for the American, they're not going to get the same deal. No, and, like, it, like yeah. it's either it's either you 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 you, know, you have your cake and eat it too. Or you do your part to build the best possible conference, and the best possible conference looks like the American. Yeah, if they're to join, that'd be the case. And but also looking at it, remember that deal is all football, basketball, sports. The money, if they're looking for better money, they won't get it in the American conference. No, because they'll lose a little bit for being football only, and then all whatever production costs. I saw some articles recently about because they have a decent amount of games in ESPN Plus, they have to build up that production house for. Not just women's basketball or anything, but like probably baseball team they're starting up. Uh, other minor sports that they're going to want to put on ESPN Plus, non-revenue stuff, whether it be, 
I don't know, soccer, women's basketball, a couple men's basketball games. Even they might have like one football game occasionally on ESPN Plus if they're playing like a low level, like East Carolina at home. Is that going to be on regular ESPN? Probably ESPN Plus. And so you got to put that money as well. They take a hit there. It might be a wash. Didn't include the extended travel a bit more. It's like it may not be worth it money wise. Mm -hmm. Maybe eventually it could be, but the Mountain West deal as well, it's shorter than the American. But the only problem with making it equitable, like, hey, if team A, B, or C gets above here, you get this money. The thing right now is that a current, any TV partner, Boise State can negotiate with whoever they want. They happen to roll it in with Fox because they felt that was the best deal mm-hmm. for them. And so I get Boise State's point. Well, if we're four years under, why can't we get an extra hundred grand per game? Or you know, me another half a million onto the deal because in just cost of living expense. Excuse me, cost yeah. of living going up. You know what I mean? Those type of things. Not cost of living, but you know what I mean. Just uh, inflation, I should say. Mm-hmm. But I think. I don't know. It's going to be tough. I'm with you. I'm leaning toward them staying, but there'll be some sort of restructuring of a deal where thresholds will need to be met to keep what they're getting. Mm -hmm. I think that makes the most sense where they could lose it. But here's the thing. If they lose that deal, I'm wondering where that money goes to as well. Like if the, if it gets all rolled in together, maybe that's all they do. Like they still value Boise state's brand name. Cause I still think it's brand name over production. Why Fox or ESPN want Boise state. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like they could care. It's like Notre Dame makes a ton of money if they're bad. BYU makes really good money if they're bad with their ESPN deal. It's the name, not the production, for the most part. And that's what I'm thinking. This is the case, which would could make a moot point where, like, if you're an 11-2 team or if you make a, a New Year's Six Bowl every four years, you keep the deal. It's like that may not matter because they still may get more eyeballs if the team's terrible. Just because how bad is this Boise State team? Yeah, exactly. So, but I'm leaning. I think there'll be some structure in place. And also, I think having a deal going forever is a bad is a bad move as well because teams that leagues that do this have trouble. Look at Big Twelve with Texas; they forced realignment with Nebraska leaving, Colorado leaving. They have their own network, which they're making good money, but the people paying for the TV deal for ESPN Longhorn Network isn't a good deal for them. But Texas is making twenty million a year for however long they're getting. So there's that for thirty years, I think it is, or whatever it may be, something long yeah. long term. But like it can break conferences apart. So I think the better they figure something out that works better for everyone. Cause they already restructured once the bonus deal with uh, what was the been ESPN two or higher to get that bonus money, but it favored the mountain teams more. Cause if you play Boise at home, you get the money because they're on typically ESPN two or higher every week. Yeah. So they fixed that, which is a good <laughs> deal. You've got to think there's gotta be a way to structure this where Boise, if, if, if you feel they earn the money or they feel there should be some preference to them, I don't disagree. There probably should be, but it depends how much and how long. I guess we'll find out. I don't know. That's where I got in there. I got nothing else to add because I'll just go back in a circle then. But anything else you need to add really quick? Are we good to uh, – I think we are all set for now. We are good. We'll be back uh, another day. Um, we may not be back next Sunday because it's Super Bowl Sunday, but maybe we'll record something about Monday. Who knows? We'll see. Because you got a you got a football game to watch with your Niners, right? I absolutely do. You think they're going to win? They got to take it? San Francisco, Jimmy G going to – So you can throw more than eight times? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going to have to, to be honest. I th- it's going to be a good one. I think their defense is going to be a good challenge for the Chiefs. Yeah. All right, but we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back soon. We'll we'll think of a topic. I, Matt, we might need to go to our stupid early preseason picks next week. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll figure something else out. But MWWire.com's website, Twitter, MWCWire. Um, subscribe wherever you find your podcast. We love, appreciate everybody listening, downloading. It's going well for us. So hopefully you enjoy this and uh, yeah, have a good weekend. We'll see you next time, folks.